There is a mantra repeated in the circles of cybersecurity and information security sectors. If the product is free, then you are the product. Innocuous on the surface, but much more sinister than most people give it credit for. Just think about it for a moment. What do you have access to for free? Think about your social media accounts, your subscriptions to websites, your web-based email addresses, profiles for online shopping platforms, as well as other miscellaneous accounts which you've no doubt signed up to years before but have never visited again. Now think about all those platforms, services and accounts and ask yourself if you've ever paid money for that service. You may think you've not, but in truth you've given away something much more valuable than any currency your personal information. In a lot of the cases too, you've relinquished your rights to whatever content or information you put on those platforms. This underlying fact is the root of games such as Ubisoft's Watch Dogs and Remedy's Control. The power of data is still completely dismissed by the majority of us who enjoy free access to social media or name tests or apps that show us things like what we'll look like in the future as older versions of ourselves. All of these services are using your data and building a profile about you and the things that you engage with. The data is then sold, as we know, to advertisers and marketeers who then use that information to build a more detailed profile and so better able to target you as unique or discrete individuals or to sell your information on to other organizations. Watchdogs Legion is a perfect example of a game that finds itself not necessarily predicting the future, but rather showing us an alternate reality. Not an alternate future, let me iterate, but an alternate reality. What happens in Watchdogs can very easily be achieved in today's world. As with a lot of Ubisoft games, they start off in speculative fiction, Far Cry 5 and New Dawn are the latest examples, but somehow end up happening in reality. Kent Hudson, game director on Watch Dogs Legion, explains how the game was conceived around a dystopian London. When the game started, it was it was speculative fiction that Brexit would happen. And then it did happen and we were like, oh wow, okay, I guess I guess we have to adapt to that reality. And then when we got more time last October, obviously the world has shifted on its axis again with, you know, between um, all the unrest, police brutality, um, the Black Lives Matter movement, um, obviously COVID. I mean, so it's been kind of crazy that when the game started, so much of this stuff wasn't even on the radar. No one in the team imagined Brexit would happen. And when it did, the team had to think hard about the way in which the game was presented. Lead writer Cameron Labine echoes his words. You know, first and foremost, it, Watch Dogs Legion is a piece of speculative fiction. So I think what spec fic does best is take kind of current trends um, in the world that we see happening now and sort of extrapolate into the future where these where these things could go, you know, given some time. Labine doesn't claim that Watch Dogs has predicted the future, but it's interesting to note the foresight game designers and developers have when setting fictional stories around real-world events. In truth, most game developers and publishers would shy away from any political message, affiliation or commentary but it's hard to work on a game like this without thinking what could be. After all, it's the creativity that drives innovation and change. A man who is revered for his game writing and vision is Remedy Sam Lake. 
The creator of Max Payne, Alan Wake, and much more thinks that creatives, especially those that are writing narrative or pushing the boundaries of what's possible in their art form, are constantly at the front line of current affairs and technological advancement. This engenders foresight, which others may not have. I, I do feel that that kind of, in many ways, looking around us and, and, and looking visionary, you know, creatives, I'm, I'm not talking about us here at Remedy, I'm talking about our sources of inspiration. <laughs> you know, see these things or, or intuitively can see these things forming earlier in some cases. I mean, obviously we can see science fiction all in all, you know, predicting the future. But predicting the near future is not where games are at anymore. The truth of the matter is that everything that Watch Dogs and Quantum Break depict apart from time travel in the latter, are real. Very real, in fact. Former Deceiver and radio presenter Alexis Conran offers a clear warning. Games such as Watch Dogs is not make-believe. We may not be just there yet, but in my mind, we are perilously heading in that direction. And I don't mean to panic monger or fear, spread fear amongst people, because I do believe um, that the general consensus is against this type of data gathering and surveillance on civilians. From hacking to manipulation to social engineering, a form of hacking that uses your friends to build up a profile about you, all of this is real. And all of these activities feed algorithms. The problem, Conran says, is that technology is moving at a much faster pace than the security for that technology. Well, look, uh, what we have to say is that technology is moving at a tremendous pace. And the other thing that we've got to take into account is that technology at the moment is very focused on the user experience. So everything that's being created is very much focused of how can we make things easier um, for people using the technology. And because there's so much competition around, uh, the race seems to be, uh, if I can make something that's easier to use than my competitor, then I'm going to win all the business. So the focus is very much on uh, what is going to be the least hassle, the least complicated, the least tricky for the end user to uh, accommodate. And the problem with that is that security goes out of the window. And because there's so much competition around driving innovators to look at ways to make their product easier to use than their competitors, that alone is enough to make security an afterthought, Conrad says. But games such as Watch Dogs Legion uses the technological element to its full advantage. I'm Clint Hawking. I'm the creative director on Watch Dogs Legion. A lot of the, you know, in particular, the hacking stuff and the technology stuff, the way we depict drones, it's not, we're not making stuff up so much as, um, as making those technologies more ubiquitous in the simulation of the of the world right it's not like it's like you say it's uh, you know it's not like there's no such thing as a drone it's not like there's no such thing as the idea of an autonomous drone that can deliver a package it's more just like how do we take that nascent thing and you know imagine a world where the regulatory climate has been resolved and the infrastructural um issues have been pushed forward and now there's just drones everywhere in the sky right drones are a great example of the changing face of regulation Anyone who operates a drone for anything other than personal purposes has to pass a flight test and ground school training. Drones are also especially hot right now because of regulation. They have been through numerous iterations of legislation as consumer items. 
drones not only bring the issues of regulation and safety, but also of surveillance and privacy. And the surveillance side of things can also bring up a whole range of other arguments to big data, data collection and personal data ownership, which we'll come back to in a little while. But another more pressing issue that isn't just that data is being collected, it's what's done with that data after it's been collected. For example, where is that data held? Who's responsible for it? And how can it be distributed? As everything lives on the internet in some form or another now, or on a network, it becomes a domestic state issue and the regulations around the internet laws really come into play. Well, I'm Alan Woodward. I'm visiting professor in cybersecurity at the University of Surrey, what's now called the Surrey Centre for Cybersecurity. Different places have different laws. I mean, we're talk I'm talking to you and we're both inside the EU at the moment and inside the UK and we're covered by GDPR. Uh, and that's probably one of the strongest protections against, um, you know, people misusing your sensitive personal data. Um, however, as soon as that data physically goes outside of the of the physical boundaries of covered by that legislation, it's no longer protected. And of course, in the virtual world, the virtual world and the physical world don't map onto each other. So if you've got a bit of data, your personal data, and you think, oh, I'm putting it in the cloud somewhere, that, you know, some of it could be on a disk in Dublin, but some of it could be in Venezuela. Some of it could be in, you know, goodness only knows where. This also becomes an issue, too, if you want to track or trace your data, as most companies that hold data wouldn't be able to tell you where it was, as it would have been split by an algorithm. So back to surveillance. If governments, companies and agencies are collecting data through surveillance, that's photos, CCTV or otherwise, how can we trust that the information would never be hacked into, sold or used incorrectly? This becomes especially complicated when it comes to DNA databases and the like. In the UK, for example, there is a biometrics commissioner, but the commissioner is limited to biometrics and DNA. So our DNA won't be misused, technically. However, facial recognition is not covered despite being specifically mentioned under the General Data Protection Regulation, or GDPR, therefore making it very hard to figure out which commissioner is responsible in making sure that the facial recognition acquisitions aren't abused or used nefariously. And with more automation and AI learning, the technological advancements are taking humans out of the system, creating a new model which is wholly reliant on AI analysis. Woodward offers an example, especially with recent AI learning techniques being used with surveillance technologies. For example, the Met Police, when you walk down the road, they have been um, just taking people's pictures. There are vans in London at the moment, and they're just building databases. They also um, have been building databases um, from social media. And in fact, Microsoft withdrew their access to a particular test database because they found out that they were using that um, to build a database. Now, let's suppose I knew my way into that database and I could put your picture in instead of mine. And then some, you know, I, I, I could, you could A, evade capture or detection in a crime. Um, or secondly, uh, you, you, can, you can start to place people at crimes. You know, um, you can then do really weird things as well like you could manipulate the video that they've got as digital evidence. And if you've got one AI system identifying somebody in another AI system and there's no human in the loop, I mean, how do you, you know, how do you know? We often don't know how exactly how the models have worked. This brings its own issues too, which is rarely discussed. 
One of the things Professor Woodward has done is to analyze these AI models and their interpretation, and there are obvious flaws. Um, we're doing quite a lot of research at the moment about how you can corrupt those models. And um, we've seen really simple things where, you know, an, an AI tool um, that's meant to identify certain images, it's trained on a certain set. But with changing just a few pixels, you can get it to think a telephone as a tortoise. Um, it, 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 it's only as good as it's taught. So um, and also we're finding that AI, some of the AI models are biased as well because of the way they're being taught. So they're particularly biased against people with colored skin, um, against women. Um, so it, it, you get a lot of false positives for those sort of demographics. So that, that it's, a, it's a very weird situation we're entering where um, you don't know whether it's a false positive from the real system or has somebody been in there fiddling with the data. My big fear is that somebody will start to use it in evidence and we will reverse the ages old principle of innocent till proven guilty and you will have to prove it wasn't you and that's all the wrong way around and alexis conran agrees certainly most people do not like the idea that they can be surveilled and their data taken and analyzed the problem that we have is that we uh, again because we have been uh, mollycoddled by all these wonderful services, free services like Facebook and Instagram and Twitter uh, and all these wonderful things we can do on there for free. We have forgotten the fact that right now data is the most precious and expensive commodity on the planet. Data will soon be worth, if not, if it isn't already, more than oil, more than gold, more than diamonds because it, it is what everyone is after. Every serious multinational company needs data and it's our data that they want and we have been convinced to just give it for free. And it's not just drones, apps and social media. As the world becomes more connected, we rely more and more on remote access and updates. Think about day one patches for your favorite games, for example. But as the consumer demands for technologically integrated systems increases, so does the amount of information we put out there and the vulnerability of the infrastructure. Alexis Conran. Security is moving at a slower pace uh, to technology. Very often than not, you're going to get technology that's going to come out into the market before people like myself or other people working in security have had chance to get their hands on this piece of kit and say, right, how can I mess with this? How can I break it? We saw it with contactless payments, right? In the very beginning, yeah. I think it was American Express. You could tap the American Express card and you could get people's names, their full credit card number, expiration date, and sometimes even you could work out addresses and, and the rest. Okay, that was rectified and contactless is uh, a lot safer now but that was a good example of how one piece of technology in order to get to market really quickly and actually become the first and the easiest to use and grab that marketplace went to market before security was really understood around that product another point to note is that the information you relinquish today might impact your future without your knowledge you may for example be rejected for health insurance in the future based on your sleeping patterns, diet and exercise routines, based on information collected from your phone and smartwatch. This is an extreme example on the surface of it, but we're already seeing this employed in motor insurance. Some companies will lower your premium if you install a device that monitors your driving. You may assume you're sending just information they need, but in truth, you don't know what you're sending.
you don't know the exact data that is going over. They might not just be sending data about what you're searching for. They might be sending all sorts of data, what articles you're sharing, what political views are associated with those articles, right? Mm -hmm. who, you're, um, who you're speaking with, who your friends, who your likes are, what political articles are they looking at? What do they like? What do they not like? What have they said that you've liked? All that information is stored and sold. Right. And it tells says stuff, the stuff about you. You know, whatever you give, it's gone. You can't take it back. That's another thing I think that people forget. The counter argument has always been that if one has nothing to hide or isn't doing anything wrong or illegal, then why should it matter that companies, governments and other individuals have that information on you? Conran explains why that argument is flawed. Well, they have a point to a certain extent. But here's the problem. If you're willing to give your data to the government or to big corporations such as Google and Facebook, you're happy to give it there now because you're thinking to yourself, I'm not doing anything wrong. I don't really care if they want to send me adverts about shoes or about dog collars or whatever on earth it is that I'm interested in and I'm after. However, you don't know the exact data that is going over. Professor Woodward echoes these sentiments, taking it one step further. You've got nothing to hide today, but how do you know that in 20 years time there might not be a revolution in this country or whatever country you're in? That data hangs around and what you might have been photographed or have on your social media is going on some um, campaign against, I don't know, an anti-Trump rally in London, um, you know, wearing your pussycat hat and all the rest of it, that can be used against you. So here we are, back full circle at Watchdogs Legion. And we could very easily find ourselves in this situation next week, next month, next year, or in decades to come. The point is, we have to be a little bit more careful and thoughtful about what data we're willing to put out there. Games such as Watchdogs, Quantum Break and Control could teach us how to think about the information we do put out, utilizing the empathetic relationships built with characters in game. Remedies Sam Lake. You, you should be, you know, openly actively thinking about things and, 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 you know, trying to find more information and, and then processing the information and forming your own conclusions uh, in, instead of letting somebody force feed uh, something to you. Watchdogs is a game that works on recruitment using a piece of tech that allows you to hack into anyone's personal data for you to recruit them to your cause. Bizarrely, in-game, even with all the unrest, there is still an establishment and an elite. Things have become afflicted by the post-truth era, and it's not hard to draw parallels between the game and the real world, which has seen the world's outlook and attitude change over the last five years. Clint Hocking, Watchdog Creative Director. In some ways, you know, Brexit and, and um, the, the shifting political climate around the world, uh, um, you know, hackers interfering in elections and social media companies and their complicit, uh, complete complicitness in some of these um, issues um, anchored some of those ideas. So those ideas are still there, right? Um, uh, we still have a world where economic injustice is getting worse. Um, but but the themes are more concrete now. It's technology and corporations and authoritarians and and privatized militaries and and, and you know heavily armed um, um, actors protecting protecting state interests or, or private interests. Um, and these things are more concrete and, and more um, close to gameplay, I guess. 
Professor Woodward says it wouldn't be hard to imagine big corporations helping with law enforcement. In fact, Woodward has also said that companies like Google, Facebook and Twitter are already putting a lot of resources into developing AI for local enforcement agencies. Citing the LAPD as an example, Woodward says that the companies are working in partnership with these agencies to monitor and predict when and where crime will happen before it does. Minority report anybody? Allowing them to be prepared and have their resources close by before it happens. I, I'm not sure you would ever have necessarily uniformed Google officers, but I can definitely see how they might be directing where those the, the law enforcement agencies go um, and, and who it is they're going to be talking to. Of course, as a species, we must evolve and technology is firmly an evolutionary tool. It's about how much we allow it to dominate. And this is where Watchdog Legions is a great educator. The utilisation and mobilisation of unrest can lead to golden ages, renaissance periods, enlightenment and much more as we've learned from history. However, these all have to be done en masse. Technology is a tool that could divide and break society as we know it, and arguably already has started with social media, deepfakes and misinformation. But it's the same tool that will bring us together. By utilising the technology at your fingertip, Hudson hopes that the level of access makes you question how you're using the tools at your disposal. You know, to me, that's one of the, the great powers of video games is that instead of reading an article or watching a movie or watching a documentary and, and learning about something, when it's in your hands and you're actually doing it and you're like, how does this make me feel to be the one with this information and how I manipulate it like that? It makes it hit a lot harder to home. You're like, yeah, sure, it's a video game, but it's a video game that's asking some questions, you know, so... We can learn lessons in parallel with the games we play, but we have to also appreciate that we can't stop technological advancement now. Being able to control and know what information you're giving out is the takeaway, and it also helps us to think about those highly intelligent and constantly learning algorithms. If they're capable of taking your picture now, or your family's pictures, and learn how you age and what you might look like in the future, what else are they capable of? Consent is also another major issue. Would your future grown-up child be happy their information is available somewhere for someone to potentially see and use that you shared when they were only babies? So what can be done? Alexis Conran. There is uh, an element that you can't do anything about. Uh, you can't park your car uh, without using an app, and that will involve some data sharing. Uh, mobile banking felt a little bit um, strange at first, but now actually it's become a lot safer, a lot more secure. So you can't sort of block, put a put a ring around you, a Faraday cage around you and say, right, nothing in, nothing out. Because you're, that's not where life is going. But you can make some informed choices about how much you want to share and with whom. I think we are going to get to a point where people will have two identities one is going to be your real identity and the other one is going to be an identity you use online doesn't have to be you doesn't have to be connected to remotely to tamar asfahani there is some good news though for those that are looking for a job in intelligence agencies you shouldn't stop playing the games as playing games might land you a job working at one according to woodward what a lot of playing games does is and this is why gchq and other uh, signals intelligence organizations were very keen on it was um it, it's it's about problem solving and one of the keys to cybersecurity is looking at things in a different way 
and solving puzzles. Data is not something that should be considered lightly, and games such as Watch Dogs, Quantum Break and Control, as well as games such as Mirror's Edge and Deus Ex to some extent, should be seen as future glimpses of those creatives at the cutting edge of thought, the ones that are able to envisage the future better than others. Cameron Labine. I kind of view data, data collection, digital footprint as as sort of like the magic in our game that is wielded by both good guys and bad guys. <laughs> and uh, I feel like that's kind of true in our in our world too now. now. You know, data is sort of a, a currency that can be used for good or for evil. And I think it, if, it, if it gives them a chance to sort of um, consider that, uh, sort of actually feel that power and how um, it might affect their lives, for bad or for good, I think that's like a that's a worthwhile thing. This this is is very believable as in your future. So um, so yeah, we, we definitely want people to um, take the opportunity to to think about what role data plays in their lives. And um, and uh, if we've done that, then we've done our job. If you'd like to hear the full interviews with all the interviewees in this piece, then check out our new podcast, Checkpoint Chats. The full, unabridged and unedited, within reason, interviews that take a deeper dive and a more comprehensive look at the wider issues surrounding this subject matter. This programme was edited by Tony Ricketts. It was produced by McDoose Media Limited for Checkpoint magazine.